Today on episode 30 of the Be A Marketer podcast, it's all about end-of-year fundraising for nonprofits. And I'm sharing why nonprofits and small businesses may be more similar than you think. This is the Be A Marketer podcast. Be A Marketer. My name is Dave Charest, Director of Small Business Success at Constant Contact. And I've been helping small business owners like you make sense of online marketing for over 16 years. You can be a marketer, and I'm here to help. Well, hello, friend, and thanks for joining me for another episode of the Be A Marketer podcast. As always, I am grateful for your attention and happy to have you here joining me. Now, you know, in a past life, I was a marketing director for a small nonprofit theater in New York. And as I think back on it, honestly, nonprofit work is not too dissimilar from that of a small business. The reality is, as a nonprofit leader, you're also wearing many hats, right? You're a marketer, you're an event planner, a development director, assistant to the executive director, and and so many other things come into play as to what you need to do on a daily basis. And of course, you're doing all of these things with limited resources, more specifically, time and budget. Now, I'm excited about today's episode because we've got two nonprofit experts here to share their best tips with you. So if you're in the nonprofit space and interested in how often you should communicate, common mistakes you don't want to make, and how technology can save you time, you don't want to miss this episode. Well, friend, today's guests, Julia Gockenbach and Daryl Moser from DonorPerfect, are here to share their best email marketing tips for end-of-year fundraising. DonorPerfect is a CRM system built to help nonprofits track all of their gifts, in addition to donor activity in terms of engagement. And it's tightly integrated with Constant Contact. Now, according to Julia, who spent 10 years in the nonprofit space before joining DonorPerfect as the communications manager, The CRM provided everything she needed to do as a nonprofit employee, relationship management, gift management, anticipation of things she needed to do, reporting, and communications. Daryl is the product manager in charge of partnerships at DonorPerfect, and Daryl uses his software development skills and expertise to help nonprofits get the job done. Now, I asked Daryl to share more about the integration between DonorPerfect and Constant Contact. Let's pick up the conversation there. The constant contact integration is one of the more exciting ones for me because we have this ability to create what we call dynamic lists, and it allows you to segment pretty much on any data point inside of DonorPerfect, where you can build a formula that says, I'm actually a fan of this component of your nonprofit, and therefore I end up on a mailing list of specifically that content. And we all know that people that receive content that is the most relevant to them, that's what they're going to act on. That's what they open. That's when they're going to click the donate button. So all of that actually happens in the background. Every night we do this sync where we look at the DonorPerfect database and we add people to whatever these dynamic lists are. So if you've got email that is queued up inside of Constant Contact, go ahead and push out to a specific list. That's where the automation and the time savings really comes into play. So that's really the strong point and one of the unique aspects, I think, of our relationship with Constant Contact. Yeah, as a client of DonorPerfect, it was so nice to be able to rely on that connection between Constant Contact and DonorPerfect. I knew I could schedule out an email and it would go to the right people and I wouldn't have to worry about it. So loved that integration when I was using it. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe there are also some templates and things like that that we also provide uh, through that connection. Julia, you want to talk about those a little bit? 
Yeah, sure. So we have some templates that are already loaded into DonorPerfect systems, and these templates have shown, I think, Dave, you may have better metrics than I have, but have shown higher open rates than many other emails. It's because they were written by marketers for nonprofit employees. And like you said, many nonprofit employees just kind of fall into marketing. That's kind of how it happened for me. I was hired as a relationship manager and then a development director. And they said, you have to talk (laughs) to people. And so I had to figure it out. So grateful for Constant Contact to help me get there. And these templates are, are really great, high open rates. They've been tested. They're really reliable. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I like about that too, is that, you know, oftentimes when you just think template, right, you're thinking it's just, okay, it's the design of the, the email, but this is also getting into, it's actually written, right? And so you can make adjustments if you need to, but it's actually like, here, what are you trying to do? You're trying to do this? Here are the words to help you get going, right? So I think that's really great. And that goes back to the time aspect. You know, a lot of nonprofit employees are wearing 15 hats. You're a marketer, you're an event planner, you're a development director, you're an assistant to your executive director, you're doing a hundred things. And so to have these templates pre-written that you can just plug and go, it's really helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so let's talk a little bit about this, right? So time, right? We're getting near the end of the year here. And, you know, typically this is a crucial time for a lot of nonprofits. Like, so I guess, why is this such a crucial time for nonprofits? And what is this scenario that people will find themselves in right now, Julia or or Daryl? Sure. I can say for my nonprofit that I worked at, 30% of my budget was raised in the fourth quarter. It was a lot. And not only 30% in the fourth quarter, 10% in the last three days of the year. So it was craziness all the time. You were just running around trying to check boxes to meet your budget. And so things like Giving Tuesday, end of year campaigns, we did all of our retention events at the end of the year so that we could celebrate those who partnered with us throughout the year. There was just so much going on. So things like double checking my constant contact lists wasn't really something that I had time to do but we were going full force in every area, events, marketing, communication, campaigns, all of the things. When you think about those things, like how does that usually work for you just from a planning perspective, right? Are you starting that? And I know there's like the ideal, right? But give us the reality of it because like, I know that comes into play here, right? But like, where do you get started? You start at the beginning of the year, you start at the end of the, like, where does that all kind of fall for you when you're thinking about that? Yeah, so I first of all want to commend anyone listening to this podcast. You are already (laughs) ahead of the game. (laughs) I'm very impressed with anybody who's listening to this podcast right now. For me, I would start thinking about end of year probably in July, August, just thinking about it, not putting pen to paper, not making any decisions, but thinking, oh, it's it's looming. <laughs> it's on its way. You know, winter is coming <laughs> kind of thing. So um, I would think about it then, but then there would be so many other things that hit. I worked for an organization that served schools. And so we went back to school in August, September. So then I was really focused on being back in school. And then October 1st would hit and I would say, oh my goodness, today is the first day of quarter four. What are we doing? And then I would make all the plans starting October 1st. But there are some people who are able to to plan in January what they're going to do at the end of the year, which I think is amazing and great for them. I was a very small team. So each nonprofit is very different, but 
whatever you're doing. Honestly, if you're planning Giving Tuesday the day before and all you do is decide you're going to put a social media post up and send one email, you did it. Like you did something good for you. And I know that nonprofit workers just are doing their best. And if you can do something, then that's a win. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when Julie was talking about that, one of the things that I would underscore with this is that naturally comes by using donor perfect and contact together is the data that you're going to get out of your fundraising. If this is the time of year when you're going to be raising the most dollars, the opportunity of the software to actually be able to track which of your email solicitations was the most effective, even having a dedicated giving form for each one of your campaigns that's themed, has text on it, that talks about this is my Giving Tuesday form, or this is my year-end you know, before the tax deadline looms, make sure that you give your gift. Um, all of that is is information that we can then glean when it comes time for next year to say, well, which messaging was really the best? And what are we going to do to repeat that? That's the power of the software. It's a great point. I used to look back at what I did the year prior and see, okay, what subject lines worked the best? Or let me pull the report on who gave last Giving Tuesday and I can reach out to them specifically, segment that list and say, hey, Giving Tuesday is coming again. Last year, you helped us do this. This year, will you help us do this? And that was possible because I had Donor Perfect. I was able to pull that extra information and put it into the constant contact integration. Yeah, I love that. You know, we've been talking a lot over here these days about just this idea of kind of like review, plan, execute, right? Like in going to the data, looking at the things that you're doing, I think it's a couple of ways, right? It's the data pieces of it, but it's also just the hey, do I have the right thing set up, right? Or am I missing something, right? So it's like kind of looking at those two items and then saying like, okay, based on what I'm seeing or what I am hearing or you know, getting from the data, all right, I need to make these adjustments. I need to do these things. And then putting a, that plan into place. And I think oftentimes we can overcomplicate it, but even just hearing you say these things right now, right? It's like, oh yeah, like these are the three messages that work really well. I love what you said, Julie, about like, or this person, I'm gonna reach out to this person specifically, right? Because they did something, right? It's sometimes just as simple as that, like looking at like, oh, where are things that really worked? And then how can I do something a little bit more there to get a better result, right? And I think oftentimes we can get too far down a path of thinking it needs to be complicated when it really doesn't, right, necessarily. I guess the, the, the question I would have for you both would be, you know, so what are some of the key elements that you've seen over the years or seen work for your customers just in terms of just like successful year-end email campaigns? I think one of the things that we've spoken about, Dave, earlier is uh, segmentation a little bit, is making sure that your messaging is relevant to the people. But the other thing that I would focus on, and I served on the board of a nonprofit for about 10 years, and uh, where they were doing goal-based fundraising. So even as you get towards the end of the year, if you're aware of what you might have raised last year and you try and set your targets, people are motivated and inspired by being able to contribute to a goal that is something that you're establishing where they know they're going to have an impact. So making sure that that's included in the messaging, I think, is is really going to be key. That's a great point. Yeah, we did a thermometer-based giving at the end of the year. I think that's why our last three days of the year were so um, fruitful, because people saw, oh, you know, they only need this much 
to go to get to their goal, we want to be part of that. I would definitely agree with that, Daryl. And then I would add, and Daryl mentioned this before, but having a form that was specific to what you were fundraising for us, we updated that thermometer image, not only in the emails, but also on our form. So if people stumbled onto our form, they knew where we were and what we were trying to raise for, what the purpose was, all of that. So being specific about what you're asking is incredibly important. And then the last thing I would say is figuring out how to stand out. I think especially with Giving Tuesday, so many nonprofits are part of Giving Tuesday now, um, which is wonderful. It's a global day of giving. What a wonderful thing to celebrate after a day of stuffing our face with Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Um, but it's I love Giving Tuesday and so does any other nonprofit employee. And I think it was always hard for me to figure out the best way to stand out in that time, which is why these constant contact templates are so great because they're already proven to do well. So using things that have been tested and proven and that have high click rates or looking back at the things you did last year that worked or didn't work and learning from those, I think is incredibly important. Yeah. I love this uh, like kind of communal like effort, right, to reach a goal. But I think sometimes this can get misconstrued a little bit, right? And so I wanted to go down this path of like, how do you effectively kind of tell that story and get people wanting to support the goal? Because I guess what I'm getting at is it's not, hey, give us money because we have a goal. It's, hey, we're trying to accomplish something that you're part of how can you contribute, right? How can you help, right? So talk me through, I guess, how you need to think about, I mean, I guess on many levels, storytelling in this perspective and putting it in the donor's perspective. It is, Dave. It's really about understanding what your cause is and making sure that you translate the dollars into the impact. So, you know, for the nonprofit where I served, it was it was about feeding people or around the holiday season, it was, you know, being able to contribute for those who couldn't. And I think that message has to be embedded with the amount so that, um, and there are some best practice giving forms that talk about, you know, by donating $10, you're able to, to actually supply five meals, you know, whatever that may be, whatever that metric is, when you start putting that in and you couple it, people start to translate the impact that they're having. And it I probably underscored that with impact, Julia. I don't know. You probably had some some great ways to convey that. Yeah, I think impact is key. I mean, the real point here is that you're not raising dollars. You are trying to solve a problem in your community or trying to help your community. Those are real people or real problems that you're dealing with. The finances is not really the main topic. It's the people that you're serving. And, you know, sometimes I felt a little trepidatious about having those conversations because, you know, people don't talk about money. Even fundraisers don't talk about money. We say donations or gifts or what, well, you know, we don't even say the word money. So avoiding the word money because you're talking about real people and real impact and real change in your community, that's where the stories come in. Not we need X amount of money because we need it. It's we need to reach this goal because these people will be impacted because Meredith needs a place for her kids to sleep tonight because Justin is picking up food from the food pantry tomorrow and we're out of mashed potatoes or whatever, something specific that helps them see that they're really making a difference in their communities. Yeah, I love that. It's such a a subtle shift too in thinking sometimes because I know Oftentimes too, like you can, and Julie, I don't know if you found this, but I feel like sometimes you can get into this place where like, okay, now I've got to do my marketing and you, 
kind of put on this like different hat that you're like, okay, now I'm not a person anymore. I'm a marketer. <laughs> and you forget to, oh no, it is what you're saying. It is about the people. It is about the things that are happening, right? And so I, I love that. My question is here, because I'm sure people I find tend to ask this all the time. I'm curious as to what your answer to this question would be, but how often should nonprofits communicate? I knew you were going to ask that question. As soon as you said, people ask this question. <laughs> Daryl, do you have a stance on this question? I have a few, I guess, but you know the the one temptation is is to actually pay attention to segmentation because I think that everybody in your donor list is going to have a different answer to that, and it's not about the organization; it's actually about the donor. And for me, for my cause, I'm good with once a week. For some people, once a month might actually be appropriate, and you can actually set that up through the software so that you're actually messaging at that frequency. That said, also pay attention to your stats. So know what your readership has been. If you've done some ABs and you've either changed frequency, see what that's done. If it's improved it, great. If it hasn't, then you know how to move the needle the other direction. Yeah, for us, I don't know if this was the right method by any means, but my executive director would always say, if they don't want to hear from us, they'll unsubscribe. <laughs> so I never wanted people to unsubscribe. That was always a bummer <laughs> to me. But the thing is, the people that are receiving your emails usually want to receive your emails. They're on that list for some reason, and they could opt out if they didn't want to receive your emails. So I would say, one, know that these people are interested in your mission. They want to hear from you. They've signed up for your emails. If they don't want to hear from you, they'll unsubscribe. Two, I would say it is important to have a multi-channel approach to not only reach out via email. My favorite thing I've been thinking of lately is, you know that meme where they say, where it's like, the person with the really, really swole legs and kind of noodly <laughs> arms. And it's like every day can't be leg day. And that's so real. Like every day can't be leg day. Every ask cannot be an email. Like we need to mix it up here, people. If you don't mix it up, you're going to have noodly <laughs> arms. So let's try to be multi-channel approach so that, you know, people receive an ask via email. People see an update via social media. People hear from you on the phone. People know about what your organization is doing through public publications. Maybe they see you in a magazine, things like that. You can't just rely on leg day. You need to do multiple different exercises to get the word out. I feel like there's a new nonprofit forming right now. We might be able to do something. <laughs> so you bring up a good point, right? That multi-channel, of course, getting the word out. And maybe we can talk about this idea of, it's one of those interesting conundrums where you feel like you're communicating a lot and getting the word out and saying something. And then you'll meet someone that should definitely know what you've been talking about. And you go, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Right. So, <laughs> That's the worst. I hated that. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. So how do you deal with, I guess, the inner struggle of, oh, I feel like I'm doing enough, but realizing, yeah, probably not everybody has heard about it yet. Like not everybody is, you know, I always say like, you know, no one is thinking about your business or nonprofit as much as you are. <laughs> and so I hate to break that news to you, but everybody's in their own little wormhole, right? <laughs> and doing their thing. And you've got to do something that kind of gets them. And so I guess if there's a question here, it is, yeah, how do you find that balance of making sure you're doing enough to get the word out? My gut would be just to communicate with empathy. Put yourself in the shoes of your reader 
Julia hit on a really good point with the multi-channel communication is, is make sure that you're sending the appropriate stuff through the appropriate channel, but also look at your own reading habits. You know, if you're getting an email, how much are you investing in, in understanding that email? If you're only giving it 10 seconds, then make sure that you're, you know, the headline that they need to know about your, your nonprofit, whether it's in the title or whether it's, you know, the splash at the top of the email that's above the scroll line, make sure that that is what you want to impart literally so that they become the advocate when they're, when you stumble upon them on the street and you say, what do you know about our nonprofit? And they can say, here's the headline I saw. And if that's the right message, then you're getting across. Yeah. So are there any maybe common mistakes that you think of that people may make near the end of the year here and some things that maybe they can do to avoid making those mistakes? (laughs) I think you hit on one, expecting that people know. I think there are some nonprofits that say, you know, we sent an email in November and we sent an email in December. And so people know what we're doing, but that's not always the case, especially if, I don't know, if you get to work at 9 a.m. and you delete all of the emails that come in before 9 a.m. And maybe you're sending things at the wrong time. Maybe people aren't interacting with your emails at that time and you sent two emails at 8.55 and nobody read them. So trying to make sure that you expect people to miss an email or two is, I think, an important, vigilant habit. You know, one of the things we talk about is this idea of, at the very least, you know, getting kind of a little back to that frequency here, but timeliness and relevancy, of course, are important. And as more people are interested in the things that you're sending or something specific, right, they're going to be open to receiving more emails about that particular thing or more information, right? But the other thing to think about is that, like, if you've got something that particularly with like a time sensitivity to it, right? There's an end date. There's a thing that you're working towards. At the very least, think about how you can announce the thing, remind people about it, and then give people a last chance to take an action, right? Like if there's anywhere you can go, like at least give me three chances to do it. I think that's the least, right? I think you could probably do more, particularly when you start thinking about the other channels that you're putting into play as well. But at the very least, don't think, one email and you're done. And even when you start looking at those metrics, right? Because like I'm often talking about, you have to kind of go beyond those kind of like the open and click metrics too, and and look to what it is that you wanted somebody to do, because you might find, right? If you're sending, let's say you're testing this out, right? You're saying, all right, I'm going to send these three emails. Well, email one got a lot of opens (laughs) and then let's say email three didn't, right? And if you were just looking at opens, you would say, okay, I'm not going to send that third email because like no one opened it. (laughs) But if you go a bit deeper, you actually see that actually the most people donated on that third email, (laughs) right? And so you end up kind of like obscuring your view a little bit if you don't go beyond just kind of like those things there. So I like that idea of like giving people multiple opportunities to kind of take up that action that you want them to do, right? Um, Any other kind of mishaps or mistakes that you see or even not so much a mistake as much as it is somebody not doing something, right? Like, oh. Yeah, one other thing I would say that was a little bit hard for me to learn, but once I learned it, it was really important, was after someone gave, I wasn't going to ask them again. I could give them a report or I could tell them the campaign is about to end and here's where we are, but I wasn't going to pound them with 15 emails because they already contributed. So they needed to be put on a different communication strategy, a thank you strategy, an impact strategy, update strategy. 
as opposed to, hey, be part of this, hey, be part of this, hey, be part of this, because they already were part of it. So that goes back to what Daryl was saying earlier, making sure that you're speaking to the right audience. If you're asking someone to give and sending these desperate messages about how we need them to give, we need this right now, and they already gave, then that seems kind of off kilter. So being sure that you're sending it to the right audience is important. That just highlights just how important having just like the segmentation that we've been talking about. And also just thinking through uh, like the automation that you set up on that side too, because if you've got somebody that's making a donation, then you can, if you invest that time to get things set up, then you then have this kind of system working for you on a, on a regular basis. Exactly. Regardless of whenever anybody takes that action, right? So I love that point. That's a good one is making sure that you're, yeah, moving people to the right places so you're getting the right messages in front of them. Daryl, anything on your side to add? Yeah, I think there were two things. One, Dave, you, you talked a little bit about this, about one and done doesn't work. Again, the, the automation hat that I want to talk about is, is the new automation and what exists inside of Constant Contact when we build a dynamic list. You can actually build a three email series. You don't have to worry about the timing of when it's going to go out and so forth. Like if somebody new ends up on your list, they're going to get the three email series at the appropriate timing. So there's another situation where, where software um, can sort of do the work for you and make sure that it's done well. The other piece that, and it's been years in my relationship with Constant Contact, and what I'm always amazed at, Dave, is what your team ends up presenting in terms of best practice. And so don't stop learning. So, you know, what I ended up learning in our Donor Perfect conference this year is, is like how many people avoid emails with the word newsletter in it. And it would have been a classic that we might have done that a couple of years ago and people might have accepted and tolerated it. But if you're not staying fresh on what the current trends are and what society is actually paying attention to, your email is likely to go into the the trash can. So keep current on that stuff. Yeah, that's a great point. It's interesting how it it shifts. And then, you know, it's cyclical in, in many, many matters. Because I, I, I would even say today that I think newsletter, right, that thing itself is having a bit of a resurgence that's coming in right now, right? Like people are like, oh, yeah, okay. And and actually, I've heard that described in a really interesting way that I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes it make sense, right? Where a newsletter, you think of that almost like a like a, a television show or something like that, right? It's got a regularly scheduled time. You're going to get this newsletter every Thursday at 8 a.m., right? I'm making that up, of course, right? But like, that's the newsletter portion of it. And then your emails are those other things that are kind of off-kilter times, right? These are things that, oh, I need you to know about this or like this thing or that type of thing. And so I think that's an interesting way to think about it is you have like a regular schedule, but then you have these other times that you can communicate with people that allow you to do those other things. So you don't have to try to stuff 17 million different things into one newsletter, which I think, I guess if I could offer a mistake, is I think that or a thing to do at the end of the year is try to put everything in one email instead of focusing on getting people to take one action, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point, Dave. I think you know Dr. Stephen Covey talks about this in his seven effective communication thing. Habits. There we go. Thank you. Uh, he talks about starting with the end in mind. And so when crafting emails or crafting asks, you want to know why are you doing this? And I had a little bit of a newsletter that I was very attached to that in the end wasn't seeing the results that we needed. And so I had to evaluate why were we sending this newsletter and it was to inform our donors. It wasn't about the newsletter. It was that our our donors needed to be informed. And so if I know that that's my end goal of that newsletter to inform my donors, then I can recreate 
how we are achieving informing our donors because the newsletter wasn't the most important thing. It was the information getting to the giver. So in in the case of end of year giving Tuesday, you know, the most important thing is that you want them to be involved in a certain campaign or the most important thing is that by the end of the year, you're trying to build a home and here's the X amount that you need. So being sure that that is what you're focusing on as opposed to, I need to get an email out today because we said we were going to do an email, I think is incredibly important. Yeah, that's a great point. Social proof is one of those things people talk about a lot. How can, I guess, nonprofits use that to their advantage to motivate donors, either on social campaigns or within emails? Like, Have you seen any effective ways people have been using social proof? Julia, you probably got some great firsthand experience with social. Yeah, well, I was actually going to ask, Dave, if you could define social proof. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I think what I mean here is seeing other people engaged, so other people in the community, like that type of thing. So it doesn't necessarily need to be on a social channel as much as it is. It's like a review, right? If somebody reviews a restaurant, you've got social proof that somebody else likes that restaurant, right? So I think it's similar, right? Where you're you're building a community, you've got, I'm making something up here, but like having pictures from an event and you've got like some A-list people there offers some credibility to your organization, right? In some levels, right? So it's like, it's that type of thing. How do you take advantage of, I guess, the things that are happening with your particular nonprofit and your organization, and then use that to tell and support the story as those social proof moments that like, look, what you're doing, what, how you're helping and what you're contributing is this is working. This is a hard question, especially for small nonprofits. I think that my social proof was word of mouth. That's all I got. I mean, the thing that I did to kind of lean on some of the social, you know, equity that we had was our board, really leaning on our board to do some activities and some fundraising. So one year, our donor retention event for actually it was 2021. So People are just feeling okay again about being in person. You know, we're just getting out of this fear of being together, but still very small groups. So we didn't want to have a huge donor retention event. So instead, we asked each of our board members to host a personal dinner at their home. The one that I loved the most was we did an ornament exchange with a group of women that were on the board and were uh, friends of the women on the board. And so it was this event where we did this ornament exchange. There were, you know, 10 of us there. And it was a great way to really build a social environment where we could talk not only about the nonprofit, but also about the things happening in our community and the things that we wanted to be part of. So leaning on these smaller groups was a necessity due to COVID, but it was this really sweet experience because it was so personal. So I think for smaller organizations, this personal connection between people who love the organization, but also people who worked for the organization, it was a great opportunity for me to share things with these people that they didn't know yet or that they weren't connected to. So those smaller, more intimate gatherings were really helpful to my organization because we were small. I think larger organizations, there's opportunities to be in the news on certain things, like if they can make a profound impact after something specific happens. You know, I think of Black Doctors Consortium. They were part of 
some things happening in Philly during COVID, they made sure that there were vaccines available to certain neighborhoods. And they were very small nonprofit at the time, but they got highlighted in the news for the things that they were doing. And so there was a lot of growth for their nonprofit because they were solving something that was a time-sensitive issue. So being part of a solution and being picked up by the news was something that my organization wasn't going to do, but uh, was available for another organization. So I think there are a couple of ways to lean on the social and the community that you're serving. I, I think I'd also add, I just wanted a piece, I mean, thinking about where tech is going to play into the future on this. And we've um, we've got a partner right now that actually has a uh, giving form solution that includes the little bubbles that pop up that says Julia gave, you know, 15 minutes ago. That actually does a good amount in terms of giving you that sense of belonging, not like you're out on this isolated giving page, but you're actually doing something that other people have done. And so whether it's, you know, giving a gift or even reading an email, letting people know that that this has been a, you know, a super popular topic right now, I think is important to get across in your messaging. That's a great point, Daryl. And it that leads to crowdfunding or peer-to-peer fundraising. Again, for me, those board members could have set up a peer-to-peer campaign to raise money because they cared about the cause and they were using their social network to raise money for the cause. So encouraging those people who already love your organization, who are already advocates for your organization, who you can stop on the street and they'll tell you what your email said because they read all of them. (laughs) You want those people to open the door to their network as well and kind of have this contagious domino effect of the social fundraising. Love that word, contagious in a positive sense. (laughs) You know, after you hit the end of the year, you know, Julia, I guess I'll go to you here. Like, you know, what things were you looking at then to measure the success of your campaigns? This is such a funny question because every year was a little bit different. So for example, one year for Giving Tuesday, we wanted to raise $10,000. So the goal was, you know, I'm going to call some of our major givers and tell them the purpose of Giving Tuesday this year and ask them to be involved. So that was one year and we were able to raise that amount. It was great. But the next year we wanted to get new donors. And so we, our Giving Tuesday campaign was just asking for $2 so we could have a very low threshold so that we could get new givers. But if I compare those two years, one looks like it was far more successful than the other, but actually the $2 fundraising got us over a hundred first-time givers and that was incredibly valuable in the long term. So it's sometimes it's hard to really evaluate what is successful, especially if you're comparing year over year, because you want to be creative. And for me, the reason that we did the new givers in the second year, the $2 gift, was because we had already reached our budget. And so we weren't trying to make up some sort of deficit on Giving Tuesday we wanted to go for a new goal. We looked at our givers from that year and didn't have a ton of new givers. And so we were solving a different problem. So evaluating your campaigns can sometimes be difficult because you don't want to compare them to one another always, but sometimes you need to. So that would be the one caveat I would say there. But for me, it was always a successful campaign if people were involved, if people were talking about it, especially if people were asking if we reached our goal. I think that showed that people were really involved and that they 
wanted to help us to achieve something that they knew we were on our way somewhere. And that meant that our communication had succeeded in bringing them into the fold of what we were doing. I love what you're saying here, because I think this is a, this is one of those things that I think even social media helps distort a little bit too, right? Because we're always on this more, 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 right? Like big numbers, big numbers. And the reality is, is that that is not the reality for a lot of organizations, right? Or businesses for that matter. And I love what you're saying here because it's really the goal is driving what your success, your success metric is, right? Off the cuff, right? You say, well, I want to raise enough money, right? But like, to your point, you hit that, right? And so now you're trying to do something different and that drives the reason or the strategy behind what you are doing and executing against, right? And so I think that's a really uh, great point <laughs> to bring up is that, you know, sometimes, particularly when you look at something from the outside, and I think this is a comparison problem, right? Because if you'll often look at, like, well, they're doing this, but you don't know why they're doing that, right? Unless you're inside that conversation. And so like on some levels, it's good to look for inspiration to other people, but on others, it's it's more important to not just look at it at the face value, but like dig into why you're doing something and what is that goal behind it? Because that's what's going to drive what that outcome is and what how meaningful that is to you. And that's why I share that example, because I think that it's so easy for, especially for nonprofit professionals to think, oh my goodness, look what they did. And you can't, you can't compare, you know, they're solving a different issue in your community or they have someone who is funding them in a different way. And so comparing yourself to other organizations is incredibly hard. In this case, it would have been hard for me to compare myself against myself because I was raising money once and once I was finding new donors. And so those are two different things. There is, of course, an importance to say, okay, last year on Giving Tuesday, we raised $10,000. This year, we would love to raise $12,000. There is some comparison of we did this, now we should grow in some way by doing this, which is important to measure growth, financial or donors or whatever kind of growth, but making sure not to be so hard on yourself. And nonprofit employees are doing so much. And I just feel so empathetic to these people who are setting these goals and I don't want to say, okay, your next Giving Tuesday, you must raise 20% more than your last Giving Tuesday, because maybe that's not what you need or not what your organization needs. So I just want to, you know, extend grace to these people who are doing a million things every day and um, hitting your goals can look different each year. And, and I love that Julia brought up that example, because one of the things that I think as a fundraiser and a marketer, we, we have to keep in the back of our minds is what is the life cycle of a donor? It is not always about the ask. It is sometimes about donor acquisition. It might be the one-time campaign ask, but it could be monthly giving and getting them on a campaign in that method, or you might be doing a capital campaign or there's a major giver out there. So each one of those, and and this is well-documented in some of the fundraising tactics that are out there, is, is to make sure that you're actually catering to each phase of the donor life cycle. Um, so it's not always about that one-time ask. Great point. We're getting close to the end of our time here. So I, I wanted to ask, you know, we've been touching on this a lot throughout this conversation, but, you know, in a perfect world, it's easy to, of course, just focus on marketing and have those blinders on and do your thing. But we know, of course, that that's not the reality <laughs> for many people, right? And so I would ask you both, you know, what's your best piece of advice for nonprofit leaders to make time to be a marketer? 
I mean, you have to make it a priority because if you do not, your results, I mean, if un- unless you've got funding sources that are through other means, and by all means, we can talk about nonprofits and grants and so forth, but if you are dependent on fundraising from grassroots, you have got to be intentional and you've got to allocate the time because if you don't do it, you won't have the funding to actually meet the mission that you're trying to serve with your nonprofit. Unfortunately, it sounds kind of threatening instead of motivating, but it's a part of reality. I think I would add to that. And, you know, this is what this whole conversation is about with Donor Perfect and Constant Contact. There are some lull times. Every organization has a lull at some point. My lull was in the summer because we're an organization that serves schools. So in the summer, I could set up my communication campaigns. Of course, I don't say schedule an email for November and July because things might change, but set up some of the things that you want to plan. You know, I want three Giving Tuesday emails. I want them to go out this day, this day, and this day. And here's the call to action. Set some of those up during your your lull time. Because this integration works, you're able to save time later. So really relying on the right tools is incredibly important to make, make time for fundraisers because they don't have time. I almost said, we don't have time. I still see myself as a fundraiser. We don't have time to really do everything we need to do when we need to do it. So having the right tools so that we can pre-plan like the integration between Donor Perfect and Constant Contact is incredibly important. Well, friend, let's recap some items from that discussion. Number one, focus on goal-based fundraising campaigns. Daryl mentioned that when he sat on a nonprofit board, they found that goal-based fundraising can motivate and inspire people around being able to contribute to a goal. So be sure to let people in on the milestone you're trying to reach in your messaging. Number two, highlight your mission and the people you serve. Yes, you want to raise funds, but remember to highlight the problem that you're trying to solve in your community. Do your best to translate the dollars given into impact. For example, your $10 donation feeds a family of four. And lastly, take advantage of your lull times. Now, Julia highlighted that many nonprofits have moments of downtime in activities. When it comes to getting things done, you'll want to use these moments to schedule campaigns to get ahead of yourself. Of course, Donor Perfect and Constant Contact help you in this regard. Here's your action item for today check out the Constant Contact and Donor Perfect integration. I'll include a link in the show notes for more details. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Be A Marketer podcast. If you have questions or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at dave.charest at constantcontact.com. If you did enjoy today's episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. Your honest feedback will help other small business marketers like yourself find the show. Well, friend, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and continued success to you and your business. Mm-hmm.